morning, everybody. Bonjour. I don't know any German, so I can't do that. <laughs> uh, well, what is it? Oh, guten Tag. Okay, yes, I can. Yes, I think I've worked out if you travel anywhere, th- learn three words wherever you're going. Hello, thank you, and goodbye. So I do know those three langu- those words in several languages, but I did go to the Czech Republic with Bruce and Julie on one occasion, and the Czech language is just crazy. I, I didn't even work out those three words, so... Yeah, thank you, team. We'll get you back up at the end. Thank you. So, continuing on our theme of commitment, and actually, if you were here at nine o'clock, you will realise when you see my scripture that all three of us have chosen the same scripture. Um, that means that you all need to hear something out of this this morning. <laughs> so you didn't get it first time or second time. Now you're getting, God's giving it to you a third time, so you better listen. Now, we've all got a different slant on it, and I think that's a beautiful thing of God's word is you can never get sick of reading the same thing. He will always bring a fresh new word to you. So um, what are you committed to? Or who are you committed to? I was reflecting, you know, obviously in thinking about this message myself, thinking about my own life. So what am I committed to? Um, At the moment, Paul would say that I'm committed to Netflix. Um, I have been completely sucked into suits. Um, So in a relatively short period of time, I'm up to season six. I'm embarrassed to confess. Uh, So um, I won't won't give anything away, but yes, what is going to happen to Mike? And I'm just curious to see at what point they exit Rachel because it's played by Megan Markle and we all know that she married Harry. So at some point they have to give a reason for her to exit the show. So don't know, no spoiler alerts. Do not give it away. Do not give it away, please. Do not. I will be very cross if you tell me. So... Um, I am committed to French lessons. I have been learning French now for five years. Um, Je prenais il y a... No, je prenais le français il y a cinq ans. So I just said I've been learning French for five years. I think that's what I just said. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, And I I have been to France several times, but when I'm there, I get incredibly frustrated because I actually find it really hard to translate what people say back to me. So Kate and I were there in um, January. We went to Paris for two weeks, and um, I would would go into places and say, you know, um, je parle un peu le français, I speak a little French. And then they'd go back to me in French, and I'd have no idea what they said at all. Um, I got complimented sometimes on my accent, but I mean, that's all very well. But if you don't ha- have any idea what they say back to you, it's of no use to you whatsoever. Um, I think part of it is that when you're in you know, tourist shops and supermarkets and things like that, people, they're busy. They haven't got the time of day to speak really slowly and be patient with me and take the time. So I, I'd be much better off perhaps trying to live with a family at some point or you know, I think you need to have some sort of um, find somewhere where you can engage with people and they're willing to speak slowly like our French teachers in class. Um, I have got to a point now where our lessons are entirely in French. So in class, with a teacher who's speaking slowly, I can actually engage in French 
I probably understand about 60% of what she says, but you know, you, you kind of guess the rest, you, you, you know. <laughs> Our teachers are very expressive. They'll repeat things lots of times. They'll use actions and that to support what they're saying. So that's part of the learning process. So, so I have stuck at that and I, I, I'm continuing to pursue it. Um, sporting teams, I guess, you know, I've played sport for many, well, I, I've had to stop for injuries, but I played basketball for many, many years and I was always committed to the team. Um, I'm committed to Port Power, yes. Yes, I have had a membership for a number of years now and I get to as many games as I can each season. Um, I am committed to my marriage and to my lovely honey bun, Paul. Um, And in fact, yes, my honey. So guys, can you bring up that first picture? Because when you do a sermon, one of the things you do is Google the word, okay? So Google commitment. Do you know what comes up a lot? Fear of commitment. So, (laughs) and what came up was an online test on fear of commitment. And I thought, this could be fun. So these are the sorts of questions you get if you do a little quiz online about fear of commitment. So, being in a committed relationship involves a lot of responsibility that I don't want to have on my shoulders. So, do you agree or disagree? So you go along and fill in the things there. Um, Can we have the next slide? There's some scenario. Oh, no, is there another one? Is there a third one? Oh, yeah. So you and your partner are getting ready for a fabulous night out with a group of friends when, when he quite suddenly starts to feel ill. He appears to be on the set of flu. So he crawls back into bed, refuses to budge. His symptoms seem to be pretty bad but won't require medical attention. You've really been looking forward to this night out. What would you do? Stay home to keep an eye on him. Stay home but feel somewhat resentful. Go out only if he insists. Go out regardless tuck him in and then go out. So what would you choose? So I I did the quiz. I did the quiz. So can we have that third slide? So honey bun, I got 86%. But that's 86% commitment, not 86% fear of commitment. Just let's get it the right way around. So... (laughs) If you didn't catch that, he just said there's room for improvement. So... So it gave me a little blurb. There was more to give, but you had to pay money. I thought, I'm not paying any more money. So, well, I didn't pay any money. So if you wanted a bit of fun, you could have a look at that online. But I, I am very much committed to my marriage. I've been married for 33 years. So I think that says something. So <clears throat> committed to my work. I have also been in my job for a long time, within the same employer for the same a long time, I think it's 24 years or something now. Within that time, I've had different jobs, but I, I've been very committed to that, um, to my work. And obviously, I'm very committed to Jesus, or Bruce wouldn't let me up here, um, to my personal faith, to the church, um, loving God, loving people, which is part of who we are as a, a church. So you would have a list of things maybe that you're committed to, but I think some people do struggle with commitment, and that's part of what we're talking about this morning. I then thought, well, where does commitment come from? And if you're in the nine o'clock, both Jason and Shane talked about their parents. And I think that's where I went back to as well. Where does commitment come from? For me, it was very much modelled by them. So I was very fortunate fortunate to grow up in a happy family, brother and a sister. We grew up on a farm. Um, My parents were together all that time. So I think I was brought up to be... um, 
consistent, committed, resilient. Um, we weren't allowed to um, get out of things. If you committed to the netball team, well, you were there for the season. If, um, if it was raining, bad luck, you're going to training because you've committed to the team. You don't just opt out because it's not quite as convenient or it's, you know, a bad night. Um, I, we, I used to play tennis in the summer and I'd often get a call up to play in the seniors when it was like 38 degrees because there'd be some, some other lady who didn't really like playing when it was hot. So they'd bring in the teenagers and so I'd often only play, I probably only ever played in the upper levels on the really hot days because somebody else had bailed. But again, my parents used to talk to me about, well, that really shows a lack of commitment. If you're only prepared to play tennis on the nice days, are you really committing to the team? And so that kind of message was in our ear all the time, that we do our best at school, that you commit to your subjects. I remember in second year uni, um, I did chemistry and it really got really hard. And at one point I just went, no, I'm, I'm going to fail this. I'm just going to bail. I remember ringing home to my parents because I, I was living in the city there. At that point, it was a four-hour drive from the city, from, where, from our farm to the city, um, pre-tunnel days. And um, I remember ringing home and saying, I'm going to drop chemistry. It's got too hard. I'm not going to do it. My dad was up by the next night. He gave up whatever he was doing on the farm, drove up to meet me the next night to talk it through and say, no, you're not dropping out. You need to push through this. Just because it's got a bit hard now doesn't mean that you, you have to give that up or you should give that up. So that message was there all the way through into our adult life that you're not, you need to stick at things. And um, like Jason testified to his parents as well, I had parents that went to church every week. When we went away on holidays, we would go to a local church in the town that we were visiting. Um, as kids, we didn't really like that. You always went to like, you know, these Anglicans do it a bit weird or, you know. I don't think we ever went to Catholic churches. I think mum and dad drew the line there. But it, it would be Anglican, a Presbyterian. A, a, we weren't in a Pentecostal church. They'd take us to a Pentecostal church and we'd just go, whoa, this is way out there um, for, for children that had come to a relatively conservative church. But underneath that was that commitment to God and the commitment to being in church every week. So what keeps us committed? And I think the other half of that is what then gets in the way of commitment. So I want to kind of flesh this out a little bit this morning. Um, during the week, we have a staff devotion every morning at school and one of the teachers used this book by Bear Grylls and I really liked the little passage she used so I grabbed it from her. So I'm going to refer to a couple of things that Bear Grylls uses in his books. One of the things about commitment is just beginning. You just need to start. You need to make that decision that you're going to do it. So I, I talked a while about learning French. I just had to make the decision. Like once we'd been to, we went to France in 2012, I dabbled a bit trying to teach myself some stuff. It, it was of absolutely no use whatsoever when I was there. So I thought, right, I need to actually do something more formal about this. And so I committed to lessons. And so I actually started going to lessons. So I had to begin. Um, Bear Grylls talks about um, climbing mountains. When you stand at the bottom of a mountain, you can rarely see a clear route to the top. It's too far away, the path too twisty and hidden behind obstacles. The only way to climb the sucker is to start and then keep putting one foot in front of the other one step at a time. 
So if you imagine somewhere like, maybe more like the Flinders Ranges, where there's not a lot of, you know, it's quite deserty, but even if you looked at something like Rawnsley's Bluff or um, St Mary's Peak, you can stand down the bottom and you can see the mountain very clearly. You can't, I, you, I've often looked and thought, where does that path go? You actually can't see ahead where it is. You just have to begin the journey and, and go. So if you're waiting to commit to something to see the whole journey before you start, you'll never start because you're never going to see the whole journey. And the journey probably won't end up being the journey that you expected anyway. It's going to have diversions or go different directions or perhaps end up in a better place than you anticipated at the beginning anyway. So you just have to start. So commitment begins by starting. You're not going to be committed to French if you don't actually begin the lessons. So, So you need to start... You need to look, you're going to face mistakes, failures, issues along the way. And you're going to have to stick at it. So um, another little story that um, Bear Grylls talks about, and this rings true for me, is he talks about learning to ride a horse. So he and his dad used to go um, down the beach and they'd ride some horses. He, Um, I don't know if he grew up on the Isle of Wight or that's just where they holidayed, but he remembers going riding horses on the Isle of Wight. Now, being on a farm, I grew up riding horses too. I wasn't terribly good at it. We had this old horse, she probably was about 14 or 15, um, pony, quite fat, had a sway back, which you'd think would be really good to kind of keep you on. But she was, she knew how to get you off. (laughs) You'd get on her and she'd just do this little tweak of her backside and next thing you're on the ground. Her name was Sheila. So, um, I, but... But I think we were taught even in that to get back on the horse. Dad would, if we had a fall, unless we actually broke something in an ambulance or something was needed, if we fell off, he would not let us take the horse back to the paddock until we'd got back on and had another ride. He would not let us finish with the fall being our last experience of horse riding that day. So he used to make us get back on and have another go. Um, Bears remembers that um, every time he fell off, his dad used to actually applaud. Um, And he'd go, just as I was about to burst into tears, my dad would then start to applaud uh, applaud me. He was applauding the, was he applauding the fall? He said, yes, because dad wanted me to understand that I could only become a horseman if I had fallen off a horse a few times, that we only become good at something when we do it enough. That means there will be times when we get thrown off and find ourselves face down in the mud. Life is much the same. It's a vital lesson for almost any path we choose to take in life. Whatever you want to do, the chances are that if it is worth doing, it will be difficult. I'll say that again. If it is worth doing in life, it will probably be difficult. We all fall off a few horses and get thrown to the ground by the unexpected Being thrown to the ground by the unexpected is a big part of learning how to ride. It is how to get good at something. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. The stumbles teach us more about how to stay up than they do about falling down. So that was the point. I didn't use those experiences with Sheila to work out, oh, this is how you fall off. You go, okay, now I need to do this to try and stay on the sneaky horse. So she was very good at it. And... I wouldn't have said I was an amazing horse rider, but I got more competent 
um, Paula had horses when we met and we used to regularly go horse riding. And I didn't always, I still had some falls, but I stayed on more than I fell off. So you learn as you go along. So those mistakes are really important. I think something else that came up in thinking about that was whether we're interested in something or whether we're committed to it. So we can start something because we're interested. I'm interested in learning French. I'll start some lessons. I can't remember the number of terms where I've started French and we've had a new person join our class and after about two weeks, it's like, huh, where's Mary? And they don't ever reappear again. And you think, well, they've just paid like $250 or something for a term of lessons. They came to two lessons and you never see them again. So they started because they were interested, but they couldn't push past that into the commitment. Now, sometimes life gets in the way, you know, children get sick or maybe they didn't think about the time commitment and it hasn't worked out, but they still kind of, I guess, the interest didn't push on to a commitment. Think about these things. If I said, put in the word interest. So if I said, look, honey, I'm, I'm interested in being married to you, all right? Or you might say, I'm interested in parenting, or I'm interested in being in the team. Or you say to Bruce, I'm interested in leadership. I'm interested in the church. I'm interested in Jesus. Now that's fine if that's the beginning and that's a starting point and you're investigating. But if after three years of Connect Leadership, you're still saying to Bruce, I'm interested in leadership, he's going to be a little bit concerned. And if you're only interested in the team, then you'll probably only turn up to training when it's nice or sometimes, and then you'll be the person that rings at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning, oh, sorry, I can't play today, and the coach is scrabbling to fill in a gap because you're only interested. Repeat those sentences with the word committed to. Honey, I'm committed to our marriage. I'm committed to parenting. I'm committed to the team. I'm committed to leadership. I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to Jesus. That's the difference. We shift interest into commitment. We've moved it on to something that's much more powerful. Interest will give up. It will move on or it might just stop. All right? Commitment will forge on regardless. All right? Commitment will stay the distance. Commitment will move on and grow and and stick at it. The other thing about failure or mistakes is that teaches us about ourselves. So how do we react? How do I react to failure? I don't always react well to failure. I've actually found French hard at times. I've I've shed tears over French because I've been so frustrated with the fact that I can actually construct sentences. I could give you a short message in French. I could look up the words. My French is competent enough that I could speak to you in a short message in French. I can read a simple novel now. But the flippant conversations, I really struggle. Like if, to sit with somebody, unless they speak really slowly, I just don't have the ear for that. And it's, been, it's so frustrating. Um, even to the point where earlier this year, I thought maybe I'll go back a couple of years in my lessons and just repeat classes at a lower level just to see if I can improve this and reinforce it. It didn't work out and I'm with the same class. But last term, I don't know, something broke through a little bit 
and we got a new, we, we sort of change around teachers from time to time. We got a new teacher and I don't know, I just seemed to suddenly be understanding more of what was going on in class. I was understanding more of what she was saying. She got us speaking a lot in class and doing lots of activities and I feel like something that's been there as a barrier for a while has kind of broken and I've been able to move up a notch. But if I hadn't committed to it, that wouldn't have happened. If I'd gone back two years to a different class, I don't know, I might have got there, I might not. I was still committed to French. I don't know if that's the right decision or not. But I stuck at it. I didn't give up and I've pursued it. And I think perhaps that a barrier has been broken a little bit. I'm still struggling with the listening, but okay, maybe I've finally gone to a next level that I felt like I've been plateauing for a long time with my listening. So sometimes we just have to stick at things until we kind of move to that next level. Know ourselves and know how we react to failure. And if we're not reacting in a good way, you know, do that self-talk that talks ourselves out of it, not into sort of giving up or to um, stopping. It's a reality of life that failure will happen. So it's a reality that we need to learn to deal with it. So sometimes when we react to failure, just some of the things that we can do sometimes is we, we might blame others. What's well, the, the teacher's fault? You know, she's not doing a very good job of teaching me how to speak. You know, it's her fault. Um, or it might be my, you know, the relationship's not going so well, it's my partner's fault. Or um, I, I'm just, that, that pre, the, the pastor just, it's their fault, church isn't what a, I'm going to go to another church, it's the pastor's fault. So we can point our finger and blame other people. Sometimes we might just freeze. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's what we do next if we freeze in a moment that we need to think about. We can give up. It's too hard. Can't do this. I don't want to have I don't have what it takes. It's not possible. I mean as a teacher I hear that stuff all the time. As a maths teacher I hear that stuff all the time. Um, And that's where um, some of my kids will tell you that what I add to some of those statements is the word yet. And I think I've probably talked about this up here before. I can't do this yet. All right? I don't have what it takes yet. Okay? It's not possible yet. A single word can actually change your thinking significantly. I can't do this yet. But that's actually what learning's about you actually start with something you can't do, you work through a process of learning to a point where you can do it. If you can't do it now, well, you don't need to learn it. It's kind of the point, guys. So, you know, that's the sort of conversation you have as a teacher all the time. You know, I'll teach something for the first time in a lesson and kids will go, oh, I can't do this maths, can I change level? It's like, far out, we've had one lesson on this. You've learnt it for the first time today. You know, like if you're saying that at the end of the term, let's have a chat about it, but we're not doing after one lesson. So, yeah, I restrain myself, but sometimes you just want to go, look, suck it up, princess, and just get on with it and do it. So I'm going to have to keep moving. I've got four pages and I've only done one. Okay. Um, so that, we can make excuses. Uh, we can look at other people's lives and say, well, it's smooth sailing for them. Why is it so hard for me? I know one thing I really enjoy is reading biographies because I think they show us that even people that we might hold up as, you know, celebrities or, you know, amazing sports people or, you know, amazing people in the Christian world, and we'll put them up on a pedestal, when you read about their life, not much different from our lives, the sorts of things that they've battled along the way, the decisions they've had to make, soon puts us all on the same um, sort of playing field and you 
their journey is different from mine. They might have got to a different level to me, but what they have learnt along the way is that you stick at it. You commit. You push through the problems. Everybody has problems. Nobody is without that. So that you push through. Um, so I would encourage you as a way that you can kind of build a sense of commitment in your life is to read about other people. Um, I, I love biographies. I just went and had a look at some that were on my shelf. Um, I, Tony and Maureen Wheeler are the founders of Lonely Planet. Boy, did they have a journey. Lonely Planet, probably the most famous travel um, organisation in the world, started very small and they have had a rough journey along the way. They've had their ups and downs to get to that point. So you read about those people. I recently read Luke Hodges' biography, the football um, player, and read about his journey along the way. Um, Stephen Hawking. I don't necessarily agree with people's... he's, He's an atheist, but he's an interesting scientist. He died recently, I think, didn't he? Yes. Um... But he, he battled his wars, an amazing story of somebody who probably should have died when they were 20 or 30, and I think he was 78 or 80 or something when he passed away. Um, what an intelligent man, that, and, and had some difficulties along the way. His marriage fell apart. Like You realise these people, while they're held up here as amazing people, they've had to battle their battles in life as well. Um, another one was C.S. Lewis. Uh, another one, Benny Hinn. Not sure I agree with all the Benny Hinn's theology and stuff, but it's still interesting reading about people like that and their journeys. And I've read a little bit of Bear Grylls as well. And even in his story, he talks about how people kind of, you know, they see the TV shows and all. I mean, I think he's a bit wacko sometimes with some of the things he does. But even things like people know he was in the SAS, so they go, oh, yeah, he was amazing, he was in the military, he was in the SAS. But they overlook the fact that he actually took two turns to get into the SAS, so that he didn't make it the first time. And he talks in the book here about how he had to actually go through the process um, twice. So SAS selection is tough to do once, but it's even harder the second time, knowing how physically and mentally exhausting the process you have to go through will be. Not many are willing to go through it twice because it hurts. But I've made a conscious decision to give this thing everything. I was totally committed to the outcome, whatever the pain. He lined up for an 11-month course as an SAS person, having failed the first time and did it a second time. He knew exactly what he was getting into the second time and he still did it. So that's where I think we can learn a lot from people by reading about those things. And then in the Bible, reading about the people that um, have suffered um, for the gospel. I mean, um, Shane shared a little bit about the journey Jesus took to the cross. He didn't have an easy journey to achieve what he wanted for us. And in 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about, um, Paul talks about what he went through. This passage is actually there to teach about other things. I've just grabbed it this morning because it's a record of what happened to Paul. So it says, um, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Reportedly, reputedly 40 lashes kills you. So 39 lashes was kind of like the limit you could give a person before you'd actually kill them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from false believers. 
I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known the hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I find that hard to read in the sense of I think, well, I've got a very comfortable Christian existence. I do not have to persevere through those sorts of things for my faith. But it's another example of what people are committed to, and in this case, a commitment of faith. Paul was committed to spreading the gospel around Europe from the time of Jesus onwards. To, and we would not be here without the commitment of those people in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever kind of reflected on that, that Christianity would not be a faith and we would not be here in Australia if it wasn't for those before us that were willing to put in that sort of um, time and commitment to spreading the word and to going through persecution and hard time to achieve that. Um, and, I, and he did it with um, grace and joy. So the very end of that chapter in 2 Corinthians and Shane talked about this this morning too, was about the joy, doing it with joy. So it's not just, oh, look at all these things. It's been such a tough life. I've had to endure all these things. He did not come at it from that angle. So at the end of the, in chapter 13, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people have here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. A blessing that has become part of what we say in the church. But it's because, I guess it's the reason underneath the commitment that has driven him. So that he doesn't focus on the what he's had to persevere. He's remembering why he has done it. And he's choosing to do that with great joy and um, to bless the people that he is wanting to teach. Um, so what can we do when things do get tough? What can we do to make sure that we push through that a bit? So just some things that we can do. Um, I think always reflecting on what went wrong. So when, when we do make mistakes, when I do fall off the horse, when I can't remember some French, what can I do to look to improve that? Okay. Well, with French, I probably need to put more time into it. And I've, I've resolved, given myself permission with the fact that I'm a pretty busy person, I work a lot, I have to just accept that my progress will be slow because I don't have time to put in hours to study it. So don't be so hard on yourself, Julie. You are making some progress. Just accept that you can commit this bit of time to it and move on. So you, you kind of make those decisions and work out how you can progress. Um, make sure you're improving. I won't make, don't make the mistake again. All right, so there's a better way... There's a better way to respond. You know where to get help. You can improve the way you react to a situation. Um, on Friday, I was fortunate to hear Rachel Spawn speak at a breakfast that I attended. She um, is a well-known South Australian basketballer. She represented Australia of number a number of times, was in our Olympic team three times through the 90s. And... Um, so very, very well-known South Australian basketballer. Not often I meet a woman taller than me, but she is taller than me. Um, um, and I was there with Michelle Dendecker, who is also, like the three of us are like this. <laughs> so three tall sportswomen. She talked about um, if you want to be successful, make sure you're learning from those around you. 
So, and I think that's where I think reading like bibliographies can be helpful, looking to your leaders, looking to your teachers, looking to people that you admire that are in that field or are good at something that you want to do and learn from them. She talked about being coachable, right? Don't be the sort of person that knows it all. There's a couple of young tennis players at the moment that I find very difficult to watch because I do not think they are coachable, Whereas you look at somebody like um, Federer who has learned, and even there, read his background because his is not smooth sailing either. He hasn't always been the gentlemanly tennis player. He has learnt that through being a bad boy at some points too. So that's where it's interesting to find out the background to people. But be coachable. Learn from the greatness around you. And she talked about how she had uh, a well-known basketballer called Julie Nichol. Nichol was somebody she looked up to when she first started playing basketball. She was very fortunate to have Pat Micken as a coach. That might be a name that you know. She has been an Australian basketball coach two in years gone by. So she saw these people and said, I'm going to learn from these people because they're better than me. They can teach me. So I think it's, it comes back to that mountain too of just keep on going, learn from those around you and just doing it step by step, doing it one, one step at a time. Um, so the scripture that I think all three of us have picked up this morning is from the beginning of James 1 where it talks about, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I want you to say that. You're in, my endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. I will let it grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, and when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So, um, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Right, now there it's talking specifically about faith, but we can, t- we can transfer that into all sorts of parts of our life. And when we get stuck or frozen or we're blaming others or we're afraid of what that commitment might mean, if we pursue that, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. So seek God, ask him about that circumstance. I feel stuck, God. What can I do? Give me some wisdom in this situation. So it Go back to God and ask him because he promises us that he will give us wisdom in any situation we're in. If we're going to be people of commitment, we have to start and we have to continue. It's a matter of faith. So we need to push on through. Um, I think there are two things for us to consider this morning. I think there's two parts of this. One is about starting And so I'd like you to reflect this morning on whether you feel that you have started your faith journey. In the church, we talk about that being saved or being your salvation. So that's the starting point. But there's no point being committed to the church or committed to a journey in the church or committed to leadership if you haven't actually made that first step of faith. So if I could have the band back up, please. I was going to do a chocolate illustration, but I've run out of time. So 
bad luck. Sorry, John and Heather. <laughs> you can have your chocolate afterwards. <laughs> so I want you perhaps just to close your eyes for a second and think about am I actually committed to Jesus? Because the starting point of commitment in terms of our faith, and I think if we commit to Jesus, that actually actually gives us an amazing base in our life that will support any other commitments we want to um, pursue. I know there are times when, you know, while Paul is a great honey, um, there have been times where our marriage has not always been smooth sailing, but having a commitment to Jesus And the promises that he gives us has given me a foundation that's allowed me to commit in other parts of my life. So this morning I want you to think about, have you actually made that initial commitment to Jesus? We can be committed to lots of things, but where will it take us ultimately? Salvation, believing Jesus as our Lord is the most important, important commitment that we can make. And I'm wondering if there's anybody today who needs to make that commitment. So with eyes closed, if you would like to make that commitment today, if you need to make that commitment, just ask you to put your hand up and I'll quickly acknowledge you. Is there anybody here who needs to make that initial commitment today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So... We have somebody today who would like to make that commitment. So I think if we all stand and we can all say together, for the rest of us, it's a reminder of what we have committed together. So thank you, Lord. So let's say this prayer together. So if this is the first time you are saying this prayer, it's about committing your life to Jesus. So dear God, thank you that you can be my Lord. Today I commit my life to you. I thank you for your forgiveness of my sins. Thank you that you will give me eternal life. And thank you that you bring the Holy Spirit to help me live a committed Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've said that prayer this morning for the first time, I'd love you to just come and catch up with me afterwards and um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But while we're standing, the other thing is just for the rest of us or for everybody, that commitment we make to life, the commitment we've made to Jesus, I think sometimes we just need to make a stand. So we are physically standing now and just committing again to that life of Jesus. There may be things that I've shared this morning where you think, yeah, actually, I just need to get past that blame. I need to get past that fear. I need to get past... Well, I've stopped, actually. I need to move. I need to take the next step because I've just, I'm a bit frozen at the moment. So with all our eyes shut, let's just think a minute. I'll give you a minute just to pray to God. What is it that you want to recommit to Him? It might be a faith matter. It might actually be something related to a commitment just in your life. Just take a moment to, to bring that to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you bring blessing into our lives. 
that you promise to give us wisdom and guidance when we are struggling with our commitments. Thank you, Lord, that you commit to us and out of that, we can have the confidence that we can commit to things in life and stick with them, no matter what the circumstance, even if the journey turns different ways, that you will be with us. Thank you, Lord, that um, you promise that no matter what circumstances are in our life, that we can persevere through you. So, Father, I pray a blessing on everybody today. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.